to the Combat and Classics Podcast. This is Brian Wilson in Dallas, Texas. Shiloh Brooks at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And I'm Jeff Black at St. John's College in Annapolis, Maryland. We are back with some more Iliad. We are on book eight. Uh, I'm going to be giving a little summary here. Uh, not as good as my fellow podcast co-hosts here, but <laughs> going to give it a shot. And uh, Jeff's going to ask an opening question. So um, we finished book seven the duel between Hector and Ajax and now everybody's going to sleep after the kind of um, pause where like nobody kills each other on that front and we get to dawn and there is an assembly of the gods and Zeus lays down some law uh, and then we get to fighting and the Trojans uh, have a really solid day at the office. Um, They whoop up on the Greeks pretty hard um we have some uh, building of defensive uh, perimeter around the greeks which you know we're in year nine of the trojan war and i guess the greeks never bothered to set up any defense uh, for their ships which is curious in terms of a tactical kind of setup um and uh yeah and hector's kind of feeling himself feeling pretty good about where the trojans are and um yeah like that's pretty much book eight. So Jeff, over to you for an opening question. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Yeah, just that detail you mentioned, actually, I can't help but um, comment on it, that there have been no defensive fortifications for nine years. I, I think the Greeks must have commanded the field until now. Uh, and that makes the events, how, how badly things go for them in this book, all the more striking, right? I mean, you can imagine how heartbreaking it would be to have the upper hand in a conflict, what you think is a long siege. And now, you know, you're, you're the one who's besieged. Um, so at any rate, uh, my question concerns the th- uh, thing that happens right at the beginning of this book. And uh, maybe this question is just an excuse to get to read this speech out loud. But I'm going to read a speech that Zeus gives to the rest of the gods uh, right at the beginning of book eight. It starts around line five. Um, and this is um, how Zeus is going to execute his will, the promise that he's made to Thetis that uh, the Trojans will prevail and the Achaeans will suffer until they um, bemoan Achilles' absence and and want him back um, as punishment for their mistreatment of Achilles. Here's what he says. Hear me, all you gods and goddesses, while I speak what the heart in my breast tells me. Let not any goddess nor any god try this, to thwart my word, but all alike assent to it, so that I may quickly bring these deeds to pass. Whomever I notice minded, apart from the gods, to go and assist either Trojans or Danaeans, struck by lightning and in a bad way will he come back to Olympus. Or I shall take and hurl him into murky Tartarus, far, far away, where is the deepest gulf beneath the earth, where the gates are of iron and the threshold of bronze, as far beneath Hades as heaven is above earth. Then you will recognize how far the mightiest am I of all gods. But come on, just try it, you gods, so that you all may know. Make fast from heaven a chain of gold and lay hold of it, all you gods and all you goddesses. Yet you could not drag to earth out of heaven Zeus the counselor most high, not even though you labored mightily. But whenever I was ready-minded to pull with all my heart, 
Then with earth itself I would draw it up, and with the sea as well. And the rope I would then bind around a peak of Olympus, and all those things would hang in space. By so much do I surpass gods and surpass men. So uh, what do we think of Zeus as a ruler or as a leader of the gods in this book? It's, it's, it's intriguing, right? Because it's hard to not compare him to Agamemnon and to Priam. And this, it's, it's tricky, right? Though, because they're all gods, but I'm trying to figure it out in terms of, you know, kind of what we talked about in book seven of like running a team. Mm. Um, and you know, if I can pull from the, um, oft used classic metaphor of Ted Lasso, when whenever like a team is um having trouble cohering then if you just become a giant asshole as a coach then they'll all like get together and fight you you know uh they'll stop fighting amongst each other and they'll start fighting you which is not exactly what happens here but um there is at least a kind of strange i don't know um so the the gods are are bucking right they're they're at least uh you know you get uh as hera goes to poseidon and is like hey are you gonna do something are you just gonna stand there and watch the greeks get slaughtered and poseidon's like well kind of um but then athena you know gets ready to get in get in there and whoop it on um so it seems like to some extent this kind of speech by zeus um is having a little bit of an effect of, you know, both Hera and Athena are all like, okay, no, we actually have to do something right after Zeus said, I'm going to like toss you into Tartarus. Um, so that seems a little strange. And especially the line that's, that's after that at 40, where after Zeus gives this speech, uh, Athena, you know, says, Oh father, this is around like 30. Athena replies, Oh father of ours, son of Kronos, most exalted of rulers. Indeed. Well, do we know that your strength is not to be resisted, but nonetheless, we pity the Danaan spearmen who filling their measure of evil destiny will perish to be sure. We will, we shall keep away from the war if you bid us, but we will put counsel in the mind of the archives, which may profit them so that not all will perish by your anger and Zeus on and smiling on her Zeus, who gathers the clouds spoke, take heart, Athena, dear child, for not in all seriousness do I speak, and I wish to be kind to you. So it's this very strange, again, we come back to this weird hierarchy thing of Zeus is like, I'm in charge. If anybody messes with me, you're going to get got. But then, you know, the first person to say anything, he's like, well, you know, that's fine. Like, I, I wasn't, like, totally serious about it, which just seems very strange to me in terms of leadership. Like, why would Zeus give this speech um, talk so much smack mm -hmm. and then back down immediately after his daughter's like, come on, man. Yeah. I can't tell if he feels threatened or vulnerable or I, I don't fully understand why he, the book opens with him reminding everyone of how strong he is. I could, you all could hang on a chain and I could, I could pull you up mm -hmm. or I could lower you down every single one of you. Uh, in a way, uh, all of you combined are not me, uh, not even close. And so I, I just don't understand why he's, it's almost like he's lashing out. <laughs> you know, he's like, don't, it, 
or as, as though he thinks he's been forgotten. You, I've been forgotten in this whole thing, and I'm powerful, and I want you to know that, and now I'm going to show you a little bit. And of course, he goes on to rain lightning on the Achaeans. Um, and, and I don't know if this is related to what came at the end of Book 7 when Poseidon said to Zeus, you know, the mortals are not, uh, are not sacrificing to us properly. Uh, is that part of it? Or is it that the other gods have been interfering, you know, Athena and Hera and all this sort of thing in Apollo? And he's like, look, you know, we're done playing games. You guys are, you know, all you together don't, uh, don't equal me. Or, or what is it that has made him his thumos? Can gods have thumos? I don't know. His thumos uh, exert uh, itself here. It's also it's it's interesting to me how much kind of war naturally builds on itself, you know? Like what are what is everybody doing here? <laughs> is is a question that we've posed in past um past pods is like why why is anybody even bothering? Like it's it's these very convoluted and complicated promises you know, between Zeus and Thetis and Achilles and Thetis and then Agamemnon and the Greeks and Priam and Hector and Paris and the, you know, Trojan allies. And it's all very complicated. And is it even about Helen at this point? Like, what what are they fighting for? And what is what is Zeus fighting for? Like, why? And why did it take him so long? You know, if he is as powerful as he says he is, why didn't he wrap this up, you know, right after Thetis asked him to and he agreed why isn't he just like, why isn't he on Mount Ida immediately after that? Why are we taking a couple of books for Zeus to get up on Mount Ida and throw in some thunderbolts? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't have a good explanation for the delay um, in the uh, fulfilling of the will of Zeus. Um, I do think I have a way to start thinking about this, but it kind of works on the presumption that we have no choice but to start thinking about Zeus as if he were a human being, at least initially. Um, I think, you know, there's some defense of this procedure because uh, it's not clear to me that the gods, the Greek gods, are supposed to be radically different, so radically different from humans that their ways are mysterious. They seem to be like humans with some important alterations. Um, so if that's a safe procedure, then the first move I would make is to say, um, if, if Zeus can really do this, why doesn't he just do it? Right? We know of stories of gods being thrown out, you know, why is Hephaestus lame or something like that, right? Um, gods can get tossed out of Olympus and it can take them a long time to get back. So if Zeus wants a free hand, grab everybody and throw them out. I'm sure it would be easier to do that individually than it would be to lift them all on the end of a golden chain. But he doesn't. He, he gives this very good impression of being angry, as Shiloh has pointed out. He wants, I think, to persuade them of something. Um, and maybe the thing he wants to persuade them of is to go along with. We need, a, we need an explanation for why things are going to turn so bad against the Greeks when everything we know about the um, situation on the ground suggests that the Greeks should be able to continue to win. Um, and the answer has to be, well, Zeus is um, fulfilling his promise to Thetis, but then why are the other gods letting him do it? Because he's made a some kind of argument to them, I think. Um, now, maybe that's a kind of dead end, because now we look at the argument and we think, well, is, is this a persuasive argument? Right, what, uh, is, it, is there not a better way to do this? 
Well, and is is Zeus known for his charm? Mm. You know, it's as as we're kind of going through this. You know, the whole thing I, I was thinking about earlier today. It's like, don't the gods have other stuff going on? You know, like they're the gods of everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but it's they're all just watching the Trojan War for some reason. You know, that's that's the thing that is taking up most of their time. And that just seems interesting in and of itself. But also, you know, he calls an assembly. So he's bringing all the gods to Olympus. So if they are doing other stuff, you know, Zeus was in Ethiopia, I think, at the beginning of the of the whole thing, right? So he's, you know, he takes vacations. He, he, he bounces around. But Zeus actually wants them all on Olympus so that he can talk to them, which seems a little strange, um, you know, could could this meeting have been an email, you know, kind of thing, um, and keep everybody kind of away from the Trojan War? But he decides to bring them all together, and then does this, I don't know, kind of persuading, mm-hmm. but it's 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 persuasion based on threat, but then backtracks immediately. Mm-hmm. So you know, it. Uh, so we still haven't really answered like what kind of leader is Zeus. Um, we're still trying to figure that out. When you say he backtracks. I mean, do you have so in this book the 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 um, you know tide of battle changes a few times, and so the you know it comes out that the Trojans are on top, but there is a moment in the book where Zeus sends a favorable sign to the Achaeans after having just seemingly empowered the, the Trojans by showering lightning <laughs> on the Achaeans, mm-hmm. um, and so I can't make sense of that. Uh, in light of his anger, which seems to be meant to weigh, because he weighs the fates of each of the two armies on the mountain, and it comes, and the Achaeans sink down lower. And so, but then he gives them some encouragement. And so, I mean, after all this hustle, and yeah, or not, not after all this bluster, you know, and these sorts of things, it just, he does what they've always been doing, which is give oh, the one army a little bit of food at one point, and give the other army a little bit of food at one point. It just doesn't seem to me like that much changes and even brian i think you already mentioned this you know hera and uh and athena take him so seriously at the beginning that they cross him by the middle of the book after he said i will throw you out of here and then when they do he's like athena you stop just don't even do it hera she always crosses me everything i say she does and then so then it becomes i've said this before like a sitcom marriage again Mm -hmm. he's like you know i can throw all the lightning and stuff but uh, my wife will deprive me of dinner you know kind of a thing and so he just seems kind of tamed by her and so i really don't understand uh why his his bluster at the beginning when by the middle he's now fighting for the other team and uh allowing his wife to uh to wear the pants around the house as he always has Mm -hmm. And it's also interesting, you know, you bring up the idea of the scales, right? That Zeus has to pull these scales out that, you know, and I don't think he, he doesn't put his thumb on it, right? He just kind of like pulls the scales out and looks so that even like the tide of battle is somehow not even in his hands. Like he kind of gets set up and is like, well, let me just double check real quick on this magical scale to see, see what I should do. And it's like, wait, you said you, what you were going to do. So like it, it's just it, it's just such a head scratcher as to how all this works, how complex, how many factors are involved, um, what's actually going to happen because you think you associate well it's the king of the gods he can do what he wants but 
he still pulls this scale out just to double check. Mm-hmm. That just seems a little weird. Mm-hmm. Well, the um, moment where the battle turns in the Greeks' favor temporarily, um, and I guess I want to underline temporarily. I mean, one of the things that's really very striking for me is how the book ends with uh, uh, you know, sun going down in the night and uh, the Trojans are in the plain and their watchfires look like the stars, right? I, it, this might have never happened. Again, we, we mentioned there being no fortifications until now. The Trojans might be in a better situation against the Greeks than they've ever been by the end of this book. And the thought is tomorrow the Greeks are dead. In fact, watch out, they might slip away during the night, right? So I, I don't want to understate uh, um, how much of a push by the Trojans happens over this day. It's really remarkable. Um, and the explanations, this is the problem, it seems to be something to do with Zeus. Uh, so the one time that he suspends uh, the advantage to the Trojans is at the tears of Agamemnon, right? And Agamemnon alleges that he's never missed a chance to sacrifice to Zeus. Um, I'm not sure uh, technically whether the sacrifice of his daughter on the way to Troy counted as a sacrifice to Zeus or not. But Agamemnon's sacrificed a lot to get the army here and together. Um And that seems to be the one thing that um, holds Zeus back a little bit and lets him give the Greeks a breather. So for me, you know, when I put this together with with Shiloh's kind of uh, sitcom reference and sitcom imagery, which makes a lot of sense to me, I wonder what sense it makes that the gods talk to one another at all. Um, What I mean is what what good is persuasive speech among the gods? What are you going to do? What are you going to give them? You know, is Zeus going to give Athena something if she's good? Is he going to harm her um, in a way that can't be remedied if she's bad? It looks like those options are all foreclosed. And so it makes uh, this bluster kind of comic, right? Like uh, watching Roadrunner get blown up uh, or try to get blown up. You know, he usually escapes, but with some dynamite, right? You know, they're just going to come back. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. We need a, we have a, an effect, the Trojans making great advances on the Greeks. We need a cause and it looks like this is the will of Zeus, but why did he get to do his will? Well, he gave this speech apparently. I don't know how much sense that makes. And I mean, it, you know, we have another speech from a leader, you know, Agamemnon at 220. As the Greeks are getting routed, he jumps on Odysseus's ship, you know, so he gets on top of something similar to how Zeus is up on Mount Ida, and he gives this speech to the Greeks, um, but it's not like, don't mess with me, it's, you're cowards, <laughs> you know, it's, and it, so it's another kind of, not maybe the best leadership speech ever, you know, Zeus's leadership speech is, do what I tell you, or I'm going to mess you up. And Agamemnon's leadership speech is, you guys are a bunch of cowards. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not, um, you know, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It's, uh, you know, you guys, you guys look, you guys look, a, you got a good look and you, you talk a good talk. But when it comes down to it, you're not actually getting it done. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And it's, I mean, as you pointed out, where he's, you know, it's 245 where 
you know, it's it's Agamemnon crying again. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's a crier, um, and it's him him weeping that moves Zeus. Um, and so it's you know, why is Zeus so movable? Why does he keep kind of changing his mind? Like, I guess you know, it's it's good to be king, it's good to be a god, it's good to be king of the gods. Um, so I guess that allows you the opportunity to change your mind whenever you feel like it, but. Zeus's how Zeus changes his mind doesn't seem to be very much based on something that's reason based. It just seems to be like, oh, that person's sad. Oh, I'll I'll change my mind. Mm. The the man, insofar as this is a you know chapter eight is a book about men being men. I mean, Zeus is like, yeah, I'm gonna check this out. I can lift all of you, and and you know, uh, Agamemnon cries as as he does which may or may not be a, <clears throat> a remark on his manliness, <clears throat> but the man who distinguishes himself is Hector, mm. it seems to me. And so I wonder if the comparison between Zeus and Hector wouldn't be fruitful. In other words, Hector's the one who's out, you know, ranging on the battlefield, and uh, he almost kills Nestor, <laughs> you know, at mm-hmm. one point, Diomedes scoops up Nestor. And then by the end, I mean, Hector is on the verge of burning down all of the... Uh, of the Achaean ships. And so we talk about leadership. I mean, there's, it's one thing to talk as Zeus does and to flex your muscles in front of everybody. It's another thing to cry as Agamemnon does and say, look, I've been so good to you, be good to me. But Hector's out hitting the pavement. <laughs> you know, there, he's got results. Results uh, uh, are, are coming hot and fast. And so I don't know what to make of the comparison of Zeus and Hector uh, here, but it, it seems of some interest. The um, speech that Hector gives at the end is very authoritative. He's got to make arrangements for this unprecedented um, setup of their forces now that they're out camping in the in the plain. Um, there's a chance that Troy is going to get attacked by some kind of subterfuge from the Greeks, so they have to staff the man the walls with. Uh, with old men and boys. They have to light fires to make sure that no assault can sneak into the city while the army's out in the field. And the army's got to make sure that the Greeks don't slip away. So yeah, he's speaking from a a position of authority, having delivered, right? Having shown himself as capable of um, good deeds, helping friends and harming enemies. And, you know, Xenophon, to mention another guy we've been reading recently, in one place suggests that that is the basis of persuasive speech. You persuade when you show you can do things for people and to people. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I like this line of argument. I wish I understood um, better some of the details of Hector's excellence. Um, in particular, the way he deals with Teucer seems really interesting to me. Uh, the Greeks are um, getting a lot of success out of one of their archers, who hides behind Ajax's shield and, and shoots people. And then whenever he's threatened, the shield comes back down to protect him. And it looks like a kind of cowardly way, very much in contrast with how Ajax fights in single combat, a cowardly way of killing people. And Hector just bashes that guy with a rock. <laughs> just throws a rock at just him. Just throws a rock at him and sends him back to the ship, right? Breaks his collarbone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, there, I do get the sense that the Greeks are kind of morally on the back foot as well as strategically here. And, and there's, there's an interesting line at around 58 um, as the armies are assembling. Uh, 
it says all the gates were open and the and the host surged forth on foot and on horse and a great roar arose um just the fact that homer mentions all the gates were opened and i think that's the first time that we've heard that so the trojans are really kind of going for broke you know they're not they're not playing defense anymore they're just like oh no we're all coming out um which may not be a good idea hmm. uh or maybe it is um so that's an interesting detail and then i just wanted to bring this up um just because i'm sure we're going to come back to it but this is i think the first time in the book where we find out that patroclus is going to die so at 476 zeus just is chatting away um and he says, in the morning you will see an even more powerful son of Kronos, if you should wish, Lady Hera of the Brown Eyes, destroying a great army of Argive spearmen. For mighty Hector will not cease from fighting before Peleus' swift-footed son is stirred beside the ships on that day when the men fight beside their sterns in a most terrible narrow space about dead Patroclus. And it's just in the speech, you know, and it's, it's presented as just like, you know, we all know this is going to happen kind of thing. But for the, for the audience... You know, this is the first time we're finding out that this is what Zeus is saying is going to happen. Um, and I mean, we'll we'll see um, if everything Zeus says is going to happen is going to happen. But um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a key point in what's coming up. So just wanted to drop that in there so we can refer back to it in future recordings. Um, but we we are at our time. Yeah. So uh, thanks, Shiloh. Thanks, Jeff. Book eight. Uh, in the can uh, thank you listeners if uh, we're, we're on all the the socials we're on the at combat and classics you can also email us combat and classics at gmail.com if you want to get in touch if you got a question um, if you got a thought you can also rate us on the itunes uh, helps us uh, reach a larger audience so thanks fellas and uh, tune in for book nine soon thanks guys mm-hmm.